Well, let me invite you to go ahead and grab your Bibles this morning. Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to be. I appreciate Blake's testimony there on video. He said there was something in his life that had to change. So this morning, we're basically going to be talking about um, the reality that sometimes our greatest seasons of growth are when God lovingly brings us into situations to find out, okay, is what we say we believe really what we believe in practice? Is what we sing about and is what we would agree with, and we often do this as believers, we'll say, yes, I agree with that, or yes, I even believe that, but the ultimate test of that is, has this thing or this truth that I've said I believe, has it gripped my heart to the point that that's where I'm obeying and is that where I'm living my life? We've all had seasons like that in our lives. We continue to have seasons like that in our life. And sometimes those are the best areas of growth. Do I really believe this? And Lord, what are you birthing down in my heart to truly believe what your word says is absolutely true in my life? So I can look back personally in my own life and see some seasons of those. I, probably one of the greatest seasons of those seasons was in college when I, when I was a student at East Tennessee State University. And I entered college, and I don't know what your college days were like, and maybe I don't want to know what your college days were like, but for me, they were incredibly transformational in my life. Uh, I entered as a believer, I knew Christ, and I'd been brought up in a Christian home with a godly mom and dad, and I'd been, you know, grown up in church, and, uh, but I had never really stepped into a culture like I stepped to in college, into college when I, when I stepped into Campus Crusade for Christ. A dear friend of mine named Mark Connard, you hear me talk about him a lot, he was one of those guys God is so used in my life, really came alongside of me and discipled me and invested in me and brought me into Campus Crusade for Christ. And for the first time, really, I stepped into a culture where the culture of that group was, you know, are you, are you growing in your relationship with Christ? Are you in the Word? Are you memorizing Scripture? Are you enjoying community with other believers? Are you being challenged to grow? Are you sharing the gospel personally with others? be honest, until I got into college, I had never been in a culture like that where it was really the the expectation. It's just what the group did as believers. They were constantly out sharing the gospel with other other people. I'd I'd never really been around anything like that. So I remember one time in particular, I think my buddy Mark, I, I believe his favorite Bible passage, and he would share this passage with me all the time. And even today, as he writes me letters, he'll put Matthew 28 at the bottom of his letters. It was just a a passage he continued to share with me as he was discipling me. And you guys have heard this passage. I just want to put it up on the screen for you. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Most of you guys know this. And, And it goes like this. It says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, the disciples, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. And then Jesus said to his disciples there, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Most of you have heard that verse. I had heard that verse, and I can remember that verse being so prominent in Crew or Campus Crusade for Christ. And every time I heard that verse, I was like, Yep. Yeah, I agree with that. 
Great commission. Yeah, and I would say I agreed with it. I would even say I believed it. I mean, it was just the thing to do as a Christian until in that culture that I'd been placed in, Mark came to me one day and he said, okay, Mike, this afternoon, uh, you and I, we're going to go out and we're going to go to a dorm room and we're going to share the gospel with a couple other guys that I know and we're going to try to tell them about Jesus and, and lead them to know Christ. And I'll be honest with you, I remember that moment of thinking I had never done anything like that in my life. And I remember being at that that crisis of belief of saying, okay, I know what things like Matthew 28 says, go make disciples and all that. But in the back of my mind, I was going through all the mental calisthenics like this. Well, you know, I, I know I know what the Bible says, but when it comes to sharing the gospel and making disciples and all that, that's for the pastor. I wasn't a pastor then, obviously. Or that, that verse, I, I get it and I agree with it, but that's for the missionaries. Or at best, my understanding in those days of personal evangelism and discipleship as I was growing was, okay, maybe I'll invite somebody to church and then maybe the preacher can, you know, share the gospel and they'll walk an aisle or pray a prayer or a card. Or, that was my understanding of evangelism at that time. But it was in those moments and that season of getting into God's Word and the Spirit of God so shaping and changing my worldview that, to be real honest, for me, I had some sinful notions about what God was calling me to be and to do as a follower of His. And this whole idea of being on mission and that Matthew 28 of making disciples beginning in my family and beginning in my community and and even to the ends of the earth, I honestly, I believed it, I I would say it, but it hadn't gripped me yet. And it was a period of several years that I came out of that. Passages like Matthew 28 or John 17. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Throughout Scripture, Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Spirit of God has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. I begin to read all of those differently and realize, wait a minute, God's talking to me. So there was a season of, okay, Here's what, I, here's, what I, here's what I say I believe. Now, Lord, take this and so grip my heart that you're driving a conviction down that guides my behavior. I came out of that season with some convictions. Here was one of them. That I am following and worshiping a God who is on mission to rescue men and women to himself from the brokenness of sin in this world. God has the world on his heart and he is on a mission drawing men and women to himself. Before that time, my, listen, my view of God God was so small. The idea that God was the God of the nations and God was working all around the globe and God was bringing men and women to himself for his glory was just so foreign to me. And then another conviction came out of passages like this as I was in that culture and I was in that environment of hearing these truths and seeing these brothers and sisters own the gospel and live on mission. I came to another conviction that we, the people of God, are God's tool to carry out this mission. We are. All of us. And I don't have the right to you know, push it off on the professionals or push it off on the missionaries as I go merrily along my Christian line. No, God has not given us the option. Jesus has not given us the option. His, all authority has been given to me. Hey, child of God, go. Make disciples. It's given to all 
of us. And we talk about that a lot here. If you're, this is your church home, you know that we talk mission, we talk equipping, we do a lot to try to create that same culture here that we realize and we believe, hey, we are God's instrument to carry out the mission of making Him known. Start in our family. Family discipleship plan is designed around the idea, hey, it's my job as a dad. The first disciples I make are in my home. We believe it starts in our community right here where God's planted us. And next week we're going to talk about the nations. God's given us responsibility as a church to the nations to make Him known. So for the next couple of weeks we're going to kind of focus on that. Today we're going to really talk about the idea of our neighbors here where we live. What does it look like for you and for me to take what Jesus says and to take it so seriously that it grips and directs our behavior and our lives and our passions. That we are a people who are continuing to live on mission in light of the greatness and glory of God. Oh, it's a great joy for me. i got to tell you of what God has been doing here over the last year, a couple years. Of, I love to hear the stories of, of folks who have their their card, their three names. You know, three names is kind of part of our culture now. If you're relatively, you you don't know what that means. You say, oh, what does that mean? Well, how many of you, just curious, carry around or have a card or you filled out a card with your three names that you're praying for? How many of you have that? Majority. Fantastic. I love to hear stories like what you heard about Blake at the beginning of folks that are growing in their understanding that living on mission and evangelism of sharing the gospel, it's not somebody else's responsibility I get to be a part of what God's doing. And God's doing that here in our church. But we want to continue. We have so much room to grow in that area. So what we're going to do today is we're going to take a look at a passage, an account in the life of Jesus, Luke chapter 5, that is really a great illustration for you and for me of what it looks like for a disciple, a follower of Jesus, to begin to make disciples of others. What does it look like for us as believers to take seriously what we just read in Matthew 28? I'm going to tell you, we, we, we just talked about Discover Tri-Cities and being a part of this church family. I, I hope that you're not here very long. There's, there's more to that. I hope that you're not here. I didn't just stop there. Uh, I hope that you're not here very long. That you're not, You don't fall into the culture here and realize... Man, this church is serious about equipping me to live on mission. And the idea that, that as a member of this church and as a part of this church, we don't, we don't really give ourselves the right to just kind of sit on the sidelines and, you know, and spectate. No, as a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, our God is on mission and He has called and invited and commissioned me to join Him in that mission. It begins in my family, it goes in my community, to the ends of the earth. What does that look like for you and for me? Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about this morning, Luke chapter 5. Now, I'm going to read an account here in the life of Jesus, and it takes place around the Sea of Galilee. Now, I say that if you were part of the Israel trip a few weeks ago, 22 of us from this church had the privilege of going to Israel. This is one of those passages that I'll never read the same again. We actually got to walk around the Sea of Galilee, and particularly the, the town of Capernaum, where Jesus had his headquarters. It's not a big town. It's about the size of gray. It's not a lot of people there. And this event that we're going to talk about took place right there in that area called Capernaum around the the Sea of Galilee. And here's what happened. I'm going to begin in verse 27 
Luke chapter 5. The Bible says this. It says, After that, Jesus, he, went out, went out of the house, and noticed a tax collector named Levi. Now, in other places in the Bible, Levi goes by another name, the name Matthew. He's the writer of the first gospel, the gospel of Matthew. So at this point, Jesus is walking through Capernaum. He comes out of the house. He's walking around the Sea of Galilee. And he passes a tax booth where Matthew, Levi, was sitting there. And he said to him, follow me. Follow me. And verse 28, Matthew left everything behind and got up and began to follow Jesus. Now, this is a radical event that takes place here. And I'm going to tell you why in just a few minutes. I'll tell you more about tax collectors, but really quick, if you've ever studied any of this, you know tax collectors in that day. We're not talking about just IRS agents. We're talking about guys that were seen by their countrymen as traitors, as thieves, as crooks, as whatever it took to make a buck. They are despised in that culture. So which makes this story all the more remarkable of who Jesus is dealing with here in verse 29. So verse 28 begins to follow in verse 29. And Levi, or Matthew, gave a big reception for Jesus in his house, Matthew's house. And there was a great crowd of, you guessed it, tax collectors, a bunch of them. And other people who were reclining at the table with them. The writer here, Luke, is very clear to let you know it was a gathering. And they, in those days, you didn't just, you know, pop a TV dinner in and sit down for five minutes and on the run. That's not the way meals happened in those days. Meals lasted a long time. So they're there. They're reclining. They're sitting around the table. There's conversation going on. Jesus is there. His disciples are there. And they're having fellowship with one another. And there's a group of people that just doesn't like this at all. Verse 30, the Pharisees, you know, the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling. The word grumbling in the original language is an onomatopoeia word. It's, it's literally murmur, murmur, murmur. They were murmuring under their voice. They walked by and they saw this that's going on in the house. And their immediate response was, what is he doing? I mean, you can't even imagine the disdain that's going on at this moment. The Pharisees immediately cast judgment. They see Jesus, or they're not even so sure who this guy is. They see his disciples, and look who they're hanging out with. Tax collectors. Matthew's account of this, Matthew 9, cross-reference says, tax collectors and sinners, which is another group of people. They were considered scum of the earth as well. I mean, this is just a rough group. And the religious elite of the day walk by, if you will, stick up their nose and say, well, we would never do that. So that's what happened. Verse 30, Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Verse 31. And Jesus answered. I love this. The Bible says that the Pharisees went to Jesus' disciples. It was like as, you know, maybe Peter was coming out of the house and the Pharisees would pull him to the side and said, hey, Peter, do you know, what, are you, what are you doing in there, man? You listen to Jesus. You know who you're hanging out with? Jesus catches wind of it, and the Bible says, and Jesus answered. Hey, you got something to take up with my guys? Take it up with me. I love that. It says verse 31, and Jesus answered and said to them. Let me just paraphrase here. Listen, you've always, you've always got to get your heart right. 
Because Jesus tells this story in such a way, and this story is presented, watch this, in such a way, in that day, in that day, if you're telling a story about tax collectors and sinners, and you're telling a story about Pharisees and scribes, everybody hears the story, and if you were to say Pharisees and scribes, everybody goes, yay, heroes. And if you were to say tax collectors and sinners, everybody goes, boo, scum of the earth, scum of the earth. Watch this. And Jesus takes the story and flips it upside down. Say, what do you mean? Stay with me. And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. Okay, not quite sure what Jesus is saying there. Hang with me, verse 32. He says, I have not come, Jesus, I have not come to call the righteous. And you could put the word righteous in air quotes, kind of tongue in cheek. This is a sarcastic statement Jesus is making to the Pharisees. He's saying, I have not come to call those who think they're righteous. But I've come to call sinners, translation, those who know they're not. And those who know they are broken. And those who have been confronted with their sin. And they know they need a Savior. It is those that I have come to call to myself. He says, I haven't come to call the righteous. Meaning, I haven't come to call those who in their self-righteousness believe they have no need for a Savior. So Jesus kind of turns it upside down. Yeah, okay, so Pastor Mike, what does this have to do with us and the call to mission and what you're talking about this morning as a church? Well, let me walk you through this passage really quick, and then we're going to make some application for us this morning as a church family, okay? So verse 27, just back up for a second. I told you, the character in this story is a man named Levi or Matthew. Now, the reason I want you to focus on him for just a minute is I need you to really understand It is absolutely scandalous in that day that Jesus goes to this guy. Here's why. I told you that a tax collector was basically a Jew that worked for the Roman government to collect taxes from their own people. And that day it would work like this. A very wealthy person or somebody with some resources would would bid out a tax franchise. They would go to the Roman government, and the Roman government was in control of this area at the time. Well, the Roman government needed to collect taxes from the people that they were oppressing. So they would get their own people, Jews, and they would say, okay, the highest bidder, Matthew, you can buy a tax franchise, and here's what you'll do. Every year you have to turn in X amount of money to the Roman government, every year, X amount of money. But anything over that amount, you get to keep. So Matthew said, okay, listen, i I got to make a buck. It sounds like a good investment. It sounds like a good way to support. So Matthew was willing to bid out to own this tax franchise. Now, in that day, here's the way his countrymen saw him. Number one, you're a traitor against your nation. Because you're partnering with the Roman government. They're our oppressors. And number two, you're spiritually unclean because you partner with these Gentile people. And number three, you are a scandalous, uh, ruthless traitor and a criminal who just wants to make a buck on the backs of your own people. He was known as a crook. He was known as dishonest. He was seen as only wanting gain for himself. 
The point is, the view of this person was absolutely despicable. These guys in that day, they could stop people at any point and claim taxes. They could search their goods. They could tax their letters. They could tax all their produce. They could tax what they bought at the market. They could do it all arbitrarily, and they could enforce it with their thugs who would harm the people who didn't pay. I mean, these guys were like the mob. Hated. Matthew is running that kind of operation. How do you know that? Because the Bible says Matthew was there in Capernaum. And what was he doing? He was sitting in his tax office. What was he doing? He was waiting for the next person to go collect taxes from. Matthew was despised. Matthew was seen again by the religious leaders as unclean. So so nobody hung around these tax collectors. So what Jesus does here is absolutely radical. Verse 27 again. With the weight of all that, you have to listen to this passage. After that, he went out and noticed. The eyes of Jesus were on this man. The the eyes of Jesus were, were particularly on this man. And not only this man, but the heart of this man. He noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in his tax booth and says to him, follow me. Now, if you're like me, I read this story and I think, well, I mean, did Matthew even know Jesus? I mean, is this the first time they've even met? I mean, that's a little weird. He walked up to a complete stranger. Hey, follow me. Okay, got it. Is that what happened here? Evidently not. Evidently what happened here, remember, Capernaum's about the size of gray, right? Really small. Jesus has been doing ministry there for a significant amount of time. Matthew has planted his tax booth right on the crosswords where everybody traveled. Matthew was well-versed in who Jesus was. Matthew had seen miracles. The majority of Jesus' miracles took place right there in that area. He had heard his teaching right up on a hill, kind of where we were a few weeks ago is where the Sermon on the Mount took place. So Matthew had heard. Matthew had seen. Watch this. Matthew was very familiar with Jesus. But here's what's even more important in this moment for you and me. Jesus knew Matthew. And Jesus knew exactly what was going on in the heart of this tax collector. John MacArthur writes commentary about this, and he says, Jesus knew the heart of this man. Matthew had obviously come to the conclusion in his own heart that he was wretched and miserable. He was a poor. He was a prisoner. He was spiritually blind and oppressed. He was filled with sin. And in spite of all the money he was making, in spite of all the power that he exercised, he was very, very distressed and burdened about his condition. Jesus must have looked right into his heart, seen the condition of his heart, and says to him, follow me. There was something going on in the heart of Matthew. Say, how do you know that? A couple reasons. One is what happens next. Verse 28. He got up, left everything, and followed him. That doesn't mean that he says, okay, I'm going to put up my sign in my tax booth that says, out to lunch, and I'm going to go hang out with Jesus for an hour. No, this is very strong language in the original that means, okay, I am abandoning everything that I've known, my past, my sin, my record, all that I am, my business, I'm leaving that all behind. And watch this, here's the beauty of it. And the only reason someone does that is because they see the value of Jesus Christ as greater than anything they might leave behind. Do you hear that? 
Remember the rich young ruler in another account in the Gospels when Jesus says to him, Jesus also knew his heart, by the way, and the rich young ruler, this guy comes to Jesus and says, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus lists this list of rules because he knows his heart. He's not saying you come to eternal life through rules. He just knows his heart. And then he says to this rich young ruler, hey, go sell all you have and then come follow me. And in that case, the rich young ruler, the Bible says, he walked away sorrowful. Because he had much wealth. He concluded in the moment, all that I currently possess is of greater value than King Jesus. And he walked away. Jesus knows the heart of Matthew is this. I'm willing to abandon everything because you are of greater value than anything I might walk away from. So he left him. He followed him. You know the story of Matthew? It was... A radical transformation. Matthew, Levi, he becomes the writer of the New Testament gospel of Matthew. God uses him in incredible ways. And it was at this moment that he crossed the line of faith, if you will, and said at the invitation of Jesus, yes, Lord, I'm yours. It is a radical transformation. Now, there were a few people at this moment that are shocked by what Jesus just did, right? Here's some of the people that were shocked. Some of the people that were shocked were these that we call the Pharisees and the scribes. We mentioned them earlier. Verse 31, they come and they're grumbling. In verse 30, verse 31, Jesus comes back and says, Wait a minute, it's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. Another indication that Jesus knew Matthew's heart. When he says those who are sick, he's referring to Matthew. Matthew understood his depravity and his need for a Savior. God's grace had brought him to that point. As opposed to the Pharisees and tax, or the, the uh, Pharisees and scribes who believed they didn't need any Savior. And Jesus said, listen, you need to understand something. It's for those who know their brokenness. It is him that I'm calling because he knows he is broken in his heart. He can see deeply into his heart. And here's, here's kind of, a, here's kind of a, an aside on this story. The real problem here is not the sinner who recognizes his sin. It was those righteous ones, quote unquote, who thought they had no need of a Savior. Let me tell you who else was most shocked about what just happened. And this is where I'm going with all this. So hang on. Matthew. See, the reason so much is given here scripturally about who Matthew was and Matthew's background and what Matthew was involved in and the kind of person Matthew was, Matthew is in his tax booth and he knows he doesn't deserve for Jesus to give him the time of day. I'm sitting in my tax booth. I'm waiting for my next person to extort. But there's something in my heart. I know I'm not complete. There's a brokenness here. I need a Savior. And he sees Jesus. I imagine maybe Jesus walked down this road every day. I don't know. And on this day, he turns and comes to the tax booth. And Matthew had to be maybe a little scared, maybe trembling a little bit. And in an invitation with a word of great grace, with mercy dripping on every word, he looks at Matthew and says, Matthew, follow me. And Matthew, Matthew was blown away by the grace of God. So how do you know? We left everything, we know that. 
We know the rest of his life, a lot of it because of the Gospel of Matthew, that he was radically transformed. But there's another reason we know that his heart is absolutely transformed in this moment. Look at verse 29. Here's where we're going to land this morning and get really practical in your life and my life. According to this passage, what was Matthew's first response, if you will, after becoming a follower of Jesus? Well, Matthew 29, or verse 29 says this, And Levi, or Matthew, here's what he does. He gave a big reception for Jesus in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people, sinners, the disciples were there as well, who were reclining at the table with them. Okay, we just read that a minute ago, Mike. What's the point? Here's the point. The radical transformation that God brought in Matthew's heart is spilling over now. The disciple is now making other disciples. And Matt, I don't even get it. What are you talking about? He has a reception at his house for Jesus. And who's there? His tax buddies. How did they get there? Because Matthew plans this reception and Matthew goes to all these cronies of his and says, Guys, I'm going to have a dinner at my house. I'm going to invite my friend Jesus over and some of my new friends. They call them the disciples. They're a little strange, but they're going to come over and hang out. And I want you to be there. Why? Say, wouldn't that be a little awkward? I mean, you've got... Jesus and a house full of tax collectors and sinners, wouldn't that be a little awkward, a little uncomfortable? No. Because, number one, Matthew knew the grace and the kindness that he had experienced from King Jesus. And here's number two. Matthew, I don't think he had been to a single class on evangelism. I don't think he had heard a preacher stand up and preach where to share the gospel. Here's all Matthew knew. Jesus Christ has radically transformed my life. I'm never the same again. I've experienced mercy, forgiveness, and grace. And the first thing his mind went to, I have got to tell these men that I know. They've got to meet Jesus. They have got to meet Jesus. So he has a reception. Invites Jesus. Invites the disciples. They're there. And the heart of Matthew is such love. The love he's experienced. The love he wants to show. The love he has for these these men that he knew. Because listen, he, he knew they're in the same shape he was in. He knows he's been transformed. They've got to meet Jesus. You see, one thing that Matthew shows us here is, I mentioned earlier, I used to have some really, and I'll just own it myself, I had some really sinful understandings of personal evangelism. I was convinced, I mean, I would tell myself over and over, well, you know, this thing called evangelism, again, it's for the professionals. Is Matthew a professional? Say, well, this, this thing called evangelism, if I can just get my friend to the preacher, you know, then that, that, that's my only job. Or sometimes we confuse evangelism with compassion. And yes, we're to be ch- a church of compassion and feed and clothe, and we do all of that. But we need to make, make sure we know the difference between what is compassion and what is evangelism. The, the call, the privilege we've been given to bring people to Jesus. That's what Matthew's doing here. So for our sake, really quick, when we, when we even talk about evangelism, 
as a church. Let's be really clear. When we say that, what are we talking about? What is evangelism? I'm going to give you a quick definition. Here it is. Evangelism is the communication of the gospel with the aim to persuade. In other words, it is speaking, it is communicating, it is sharing Yes, compassion and all of that that is involved. But ultimately, it is sharing the message of Christ, crucified, resurrected, Jesus in my place. Place faith in Jesus Christ. Trust Christ. Come to Christ. Look what He's done in my life. Evangelism is essentially the sharing, the speaking, the communicating of the gospel message. That's why Romans 118 or 116 is so important for us. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the message, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We, we are the carriers of this message. Matthew understood, I'm the carrier of this message. Now, I can't have a dinner, if you will, and, and I can't have a dinner at my house and Jesus literally physically shows up, right? I mean, if Jesus shows up at your house for a dinner, I need to know about it. Would you take a picture and tweet it out or something? Jesus came. Now watch. The Spirit of Jesus Christ indwells every believer. So you say, well, well, sure, Matthew, he got to bring him to meet Jesus. Okay, that's easy. The Spirit of Jesus Christ. That's why... Acts 1.8, you wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit empowers you, the Spirit of who? Jesus lives inside of you. Jesus lives inside other believers. That's why Matthew said, okay, I'm going to have this party, and I want the disciples there, and I want Jesus there. Listen, personal evangelism is given to every single believer. It is a responsibility, a privilege that we have, flowing out of a heart of love for God, a heart of love for those that don't know Him, with this whether you're taught it or whether a preacher rants about it, whatever it is, I've got to bring that person to Jesus. I love my neighbor, my brother, my boss, my classmate, my whatever. I love them. And the reason I can love them is because Jesus has given me the capacity to love and I'm going to do whatever I can to get them to Jesus. So who does evangelism? Matthew blows away some of our notions. Every disciple of Jesus Christ is called and commissioned to share the message of the gospel with others. All of us. None of us have the excuse of of saying, well, you know, it's for the prophetic. No, Matthew had only known Christ maybe a few days. Did he do everything right? Probably not. Did he have... The heart was, I have been so radically transformed by this man, this king. I've got to bring my friends to the know Jesus. J.C. Ryle said this, no true, no, true, no true Christian ever goes to heaven alone. <laughs> Meaning every disciple has the privilege of bringing with them those that we introduce to Jesus. Now, what can we learn from Matthew's example really quick? And we'll close in just a moment. So who, who is Matthew bringing to Jesus? Well, we use the language around here, places that we live, places we work, places that we play, where we live, work, and play. This is where Matthew works. It's where he spends most of his time. It's his profession. He has a pool of people there called the fellow tax collectors. That's his mission field. 
He says, okay, I, these are the guys I know. I know they don't know Christ. i got to bring them to know Jesus. Where did he invite them to? He brings them into his house. He didn't invite them to church. There's nothing wrong with that. Yes, invite your unsaved friends to church. That's a part of the process. But Matthew says, listen, I'm going to bring them to my house. I'm building relationships. I want to love them. And I want to, I want to use opportunities throughout my day to love and serve them so that I will be able to share the gospel with them because I love them. His goal was that he wanted them to meet Jesus. The other disciples were there, which is huge for us. It's very important for us to understand as we talk about this thing called personal evangelism. Yes, it's something we each do, but we're we're not in this thing alone. The Great Commission was given to the church, the body of Christ. Just a few, I mean, I think some of you guys know about this, but I, and he may be here this morning, I'm not sure I hadn't seen him yet, but I had the great privilege of being a part of uh, leading a fellow to the Lord named Lucas, a great friend of mine not too many weeks ago, and I happened to get to be the one that walked through the Bible with him and showed him some different scriptures, and God was doing a work in his life, and I got to be the one that was at the table at Panera Bread having coffee, and when he, when he crossed that line of faith and trusted Jesus, but listen, it wasn't just me. Man, there were other students that had been praying for Lucas, and they were sharing with Lucas, and they were loving Lucas, and Lucas saw Jesus through the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, and through the body of Christ loving him. So we talk about personal evangelism. Yes, it's our responsibility, but it's given to all of us as a church. So we pray. So what does this look like for us as a church family? Then I'm going to call your attention to a video on the screen. We pray. We've got these little cards that we write down names of people in our spheres of influence that we pray that Jesus will save them. If you haven't filled one of these out or you're new at our church, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a few moments. Then we engage. We look for opportunities to engage in a loving, intentional way those in our spheres of influence that do not know Christ. And then we pray for an opportunity. Lord, give me boldness. Give me an opportunity to speak the message of the gospel and call to it for a response. Will you believe? Will you believe? Now, I'm going to show you what this looks like really practical in our church family in just a moment. But first, I want you to turn your attention to the screen. You're going to watch a video from one of your uh, fellow church members uh, who's had the privilege of sharing the gospel with some of her friends. So go ahead and run this video. My name is Ting Saptel. Um, I've been a member of Tri-City Baptist Church for about a year. I became a Christian after I came to U.S. for uh, graduate school. Knowing Jesus really transformed my life, um, gave me joy and a purpose. And so... Jesus used that to, as I grow and, and learn more about the truth. Um, he also lifted my eyes to see others who need, needed that salvation. When we moved here about seven years ago, eight years ago, um, we got to know these um, three Chinese ladies and their family. As I prayed for them, God actually brought the opportunity for my family to help them and serve them. My children invited their children to come to our family farm to show them how to care for animals, like a little summer camp, and also just through medical care when they need help translate at the doctor's appointment. Um, the past summer, God really gave me the opportunities. I went to every appointment with them. Through all this, um, I feel like they, it's kind of a building relationship with them. I got to know all their family. Um, and when our church started asking us to write down the three names to pray for them and to share gospel with them, they just pop it in my head. 
this lady that she's a restaurant owner, so I was afraid that you know, he, she's not going to have a lot of time. So as I pray, actually, she called me on my birthday and uh, treated, my, treated me out to lunch. And over the meal, during the conversation, I was able to get to know her more, to ask her how she came here, and, uh, and also share with her my journey here. And she was interested in it. So I got to share the gospel with her. And then with the other lady, um, I got to share a um, come and see the book of John booklet. It's a short booklet with a gospel message. And I told her about this God who's the one true God who created the whole universe. Um, because coming from the Asian background, either you can be atheism or you can be you can believe in so many gods. <laughs> and uh, she, her eyes just kind of sparkled. And uh, I gave her the booklet. She looked at it quickly and she said, I wish I could go to the Bible study with you. Jesus prepared the fe harvest field. We can be the sower, we can be the reapers, but it's in God's, it's in God's hand. I just pray that God will help us, help me to um, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. And uh, we know that Jesus is going to work in their hearts. All right, so we're going to conclude this time this way. All right, how, how do we respond to what you've heard and kind of the testimonies you've heard? I'm going to ask the team to come on up and just begin to play, and our service is not over. We've got just a few things to do, but love compels us to do everything we can to bring those that do not know Jesus to know Jesus. So this morning, the response time is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be like this. First, for some of you, your, your first step may be Maybe again, you're new here, or maybe you've not been here in the last few months or whatever, but yours may be to take a little card that's in front of you. We've tried to put plenty of these little cards, and it, it's the one that we've been mid-mentioning. It has blanks for three names. Maybe you've not even been able to begin that process yet. So your response this morning may be to say, okay, I'm going I'm to ask God to put three names on my heart, and I'm going to begin to pray that God would give me an opportunity to share the gospel with them. That may be the response for some of you. Some of you may be like me, and you've had three names on a card for months and months and months. I get to see one of the names on my card come to Christ, and I rejoice in that, but there's two that aren't. So here's what we're going to challenge us as a church family to do over the next week. We're going to take the example of Matthew that we just read in the Bible, and I'm going to challenge you, and I'm, I've already done this and doing this now. I'm going to challenge you over the next week to take one of the names that's on your card Ask God to point out which one and say, Lord, all right, which, which name are you working in? Call them and set up some meal or some opportunity with them over the next week. You've been praying. You've been praying. You've been praying. Take some action now together and set up something over the next week and say, God, give me the opportunity to, to share the message of Christ with my friend. Not to check off a box, not to check it up, because I love you and I love them so much. I'm going to take this step of action. Some of you, during the response time, in just a moment, David's going to sing and you're right there in your seat. Maybe I'm going to take my card or I'm going to write down, okay, here's who I'm going to reach out to. Third name on here. I've already reached out to him. Invited him over to my house for dinner. And then for all of us over the next week, as you're, as you're at a meal time this week, family, church family, as you're praying over your meal and you say, Lord, thank you for this food, let it come to your mind, maybe during this meal time, one of my brothers and sisters is sharing the gospel with somebody. I don't know who it is. I don't know where it is. And just utter a word of prayer. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters that somebody's sharing the gospel. Give them the power. Open hearts, change lives. 
Lord, give us a harvest in our community. Pray that over your meals. So the next week, let's take this challenge. Take the next step. Take the next step. Would you bow your head? Just in a moment of worshipful kind of response. If you need to take out a card and write down a name, or if you need to determine, okay, here's the name I'm going to pursue. And take just a moment and do that. And then David is going to sing over us. And Pastor Jeff will come close our service in just a moment.